Does anybody need an outline? Um, should say chapter 18 prayer on the top of it. Hold up your hand if you need one. And um, let's see. Somebody help me get these out. Sandy, thanks. Review on prayer. We did that last week. I'm not going to review again. And last week we talked about considerations in, in uh, effective prayer, praying according to God's will. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We're to pray for God's kingdom come and his will be done. And that has to do with praying according to what the Bible says about things God commands. Um, you know, we should pray that people be honest, not that they cheat and steal. We should pray that uh, people uh, uh, love each other, not that they murder and hate each other. Uh, we should pray that people come to know Christ, not that they stay away from the gospel. I mean, there are some things that are just kind of obvious things that are right to pray for because they're what is pleasing to God in Scripture. Another one I gave was uh, we should, when it says, if, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give to everyone generously without reproaching. The Bible wants us to have wisdom. We should pray for wisdom and not think, well, God, if you want me to have wisdom on this, uh, please grant it to me. But we know that it's his will because he's told us. So there are hundreds of things that we pray according to God's will because we, we pray according to the guidance that we get in his word. And the longer we've been Christians and the more we read his word, I think the more maturity we get in being able to understand what his will is in one situation or another. And then, of course, we talked last week and we spent some time on this. I'm praying with faith. Um, the faith, this, this sense of assurance, this sense of trust, this sense of confidence that, uh, uh, that's um, kind of a a trust that God will grant what we are asking. And um, I, I suppose we could break faith down into two things. First, I mean, there's this sense of trust in God generally, that he will do what's good for us, for his church, for the world. There's a kind of a general kind of faith. And then there is sometimes as we're praying for things, God gives us a specific sense of assurance in our hearts that he is going to grant what we've requested. And so uh, I think that praying in that sense, believe that you have received it, I, I don't think it's something you can just make yourself believe, but I think that uh, as we spend time in prayer, as we read God's word, God from time to time gives us a sense of assurance that he has agreed to grant what you request from him. Like uh, when before this battle that Joshua fought against the Canaanites in the city of Ai, Ai, uh, here in Joshua 1.8, the Lord said to Joshua, uh, Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. Well, if God says you're going to win, <laughs> that would really encourage you to go out to battle, wouldn't it? Um, you know, not to be lazy, but uh, to have a sense of confidence that God has decided to grant what you've asked. And I think that's the case, at least in times, when we pray with faith. I don't think it's something we can work up in our own strength or effort. It's something the Lord gives us as we pray, read his word, and wait on him. Other passages on faith in prayer as well. We talked about those last week. So now I'm going to go on on the outline here to a number of other passages that uh, and, and uh, points on the outline. This is point C, some important considerations in effective prayer. One was praying according to God's will. Two, with faith. Now, I'm going to try to get through 3 to 13 here uh, so we uh, go a little more quickly and get through the rest of the outline this morning. So the general 
the general perspective here is um, we all pray. From time to time, we pray. And, and I think that one of the questions that is frequent in the lives of a, of a Christian, one of the questions is, you know, how, how can my prayer life be better? How can it be more effective? Are there things that I can do? Yes, I pray, but, you know, sometimes it isn't very meaningful. Sometimes it doesn't seem like my prayers are going anyplace, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. What can make prayer more effective? So I talked about praying according to God's will, and talked about praying with faith. Those were points one and two. But now there are a number of other things that I've kind of collected from the Bible that seem to me to affect what uh, our prayer life is like. And so let's go on and look at these. Number three is obedience. Uh, 66, 18, the psalmist said, I had cherished iniquity in my heart. The Lord would not have listened. Mm. Mm-hmm. Loving to rebel against the Lord and disobey him, then the psalmist says he wouldn't have listened to my prayer. Or Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So someone had just living a life of evil and wickedness and, and uh, comes to the temple to make a sacrifice in the Old Testament. God says, well, what are you doing sacrificing to me when, you're, when your life is so disobedient to me? And I suppose in the New Testament parallel to that would be just someone whose life is full of wickedness during the week and then comes in and starts singing hymns and you know, participating in the worship service. God says, no, that isn't pleasing to me because your life is not in order. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Or 1 Peter 3, 12, quoting a passage from the Psalms, Testament, Peter says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So um, there, are some, there are some verses that talk about the importance of obedience as affecting our prayer. Uh, here, 1 John 3.21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. But if there's sort of a pattern of sin and disobedience in our life, and then we come, we try to pray, we kind of, we've got this, other, this elephant in the room that we're not talking about, and that is the disobedience, and something that we've kind of not, we're ashamed to bring before God, and then we say, oh, now I want to come before God and pray. Well, it's a hindrance. Now, there's a, I want to say that because these verses are there. They're there in the Bible. They talk about the importance of obedience. But if we had to wait until we're morally perfect before we prayed, then only one person in history could ever pray, and that's Jesus. So it can't be you've got to be morally perfect before you pray because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, says First John. So we don't need to wait till we're perfect till we pray. We have confidence to enter into the holy places, that is, into the heavenly sanctuary of God, by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That is, we, we do come as forgiven sinners. I understand that. And there's a large amount of grace in the Christian life. And God uh, hears our prayers even though we're not perfect. So I want to say that. But, having said that, all other things being equal, living a life of obedience to God is important to our prayers. All right? 
let me let me go to the next point and then we'll kind of deal with these together. So you say, well, okay, um, does that mean if there's sin in my life that I know about, that I'm, that I'm willfully disobeying the Lord, does that mean that I can't pray at all? No, but but it isn't a it isn't a very encouraging situation. Well, first thing to do is then um, confess our sins. So that's point four in effective prayer, confession of sins. Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who trespass against us. And First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, um, you know, um, in my own um, time of prayer every morning, I have a notebook with different pages, and the uh, first thing I do is, well, I've got I read a passage of Scripture and um, just kind of focus on something having to do with the Lord. And right away, the first page of stuff that I'm going to pray for, prayer for myself, Right at the top is, Lord, forgive my sins. And there, then right after that follows some attitudes of heart that I know recur again and again in my heart. I say, Lord, forgive this attitude or this attitude. Or if there are times when I've spoken in a way that I regret or done something that I was not thoughtful to someone or not kind or selfish or proud or something, just, Lord, forgive my sins. So I start there. And I think that's right, that we start there. Now, that can't be just mechanical. There should be a heartfelt regret or repentance or turning from sin and asking the Lord to help us in that. But you say, wait a minute. I can't even think of I mean, maybe I've done stuff wrong that the Lord sees, and I, I don't even remember. What about yesterday, the day before, or third grade? I mean, <laughs> you know, what about that? And there's a general prayer in Psalm 19 that's really helpful. David says, but who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, from hidden faults. In other words, Lord, I remember this and I remember this, and Lord, all the other things that I don't remember, forgive those too, please. That's a good general prayer, okay? And I think, I think God will hear that too. But it's important. So um, now let's say someone says, "All right, I've been, you know, I've, I've asked the Lord's forgiveness for for something, but but you know what? I just keep having my conscience troubled about it, and I just keep coming back, and I try to pray, and I keep thinking about this thing that's troubling me." Well, then I think this next verse comes into play. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then's the time to find a friend a Christian brother or sister or an elder at the church or a pastor or just some friend that you say, look, this has been going on for two weeks. I keep asking the Lord's forgiveness for this and my conscience keeps bothering me. I can't get a sense that I'm forgiven for it. And then a number of things could happen. Your friend could say, well, what is it you're, you're asking forgiveness for? You say, well... Um, I stole $500 from the cash drawer at work. Well, did you pay it back? No. <laughs> well, 
well, I wouldn't expect to get forgiveness until you've got it paid back. Of course the Lord's, I mean, I mean that's a funny example, but you know what I mean? Or maybe that you, you really were inconsiderate someone hurt someone in something you did or said. And, well, have you gone to the person and asked forgiveness? No. Well, then the, the, other, the other person, the third party, the friend, kind of as an impartial observer coming to that can say, well, you know, Sam, you really need to go and talk to your friend, ask, ask forgiveness. So, so that the friend point out something that maybe needs to be made right. And that's a benefit to confessing our sins to one another. That's, that's one thing that could happen. Or another thing that could happen is uh, you could say, well, I keep praying and asking forgiveness for something. And the friend says, well, why are you asking forgiveness for that? There's nothing wrong with that. You maybe just have an overly sensitive conscience, and the friend can help clarify that. Okay? Or another thing could happen. Maybe you just have a, a mindset or a temperament or a personality that's, that wrongly accuses you over and over again. Or maybe even the enemy is just sending accusation where the Lord has forgiven you, and you don't need to worry about it, and you've made it right. But, but you still keep asking forgiveness for stealing cookies when you were in third grade or something like that, okay? And then the friend can say, hey, wait a minute. This, the Lord has forgiven you. You just need to believe this passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So sometimes just a friend can help a lot and help us maybe pray together and say, well, this is clean, it's forgiven. Now, uh, will you please... The friend may be praying, will you please help Sam to feel forgiveness from you, Lord, and feel welcome before you. So confession of sins. But that's important because that's just an ongoing part of our life. So now, how do I put these two together? Um, obedience is important, but confession of sins. I think both are important. All right? You want to talk about that a little bit? Does it? Does it do you... Does that make sense? Do you sense that's right? It says there is an element of obedience in Christian life before the Lord that it does affect our prayer. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before him. Do you want to talk about that at all? Is that... Are you? Uh, yes. What I'm is trying the, to read your name. Dottie. Too. Uh, Dottie, what, yes. what is the power of prayer of a non-believer? Ah. Yeah, what happens with a non-believer? Can a non-believer pray? Yes, in that um, sometimes God hears the prayers of non-believers, and often in a crisis situation, in a foxhole in the battle, or in uh, you know somebody's shipwrecked at sea, or in an auto accident, and they cry out to God, and I think Sometimes God answers that because it's just a way of bringing the person to himself. But I don't think that an unbeliever has all these promises that God will hear our prayers, that we do have access before him and things like that. It's, a, it's grace. It's grace that's un, undeserved yet. Um, well, all grace is undeserved, but I mean it, isn't, it hasn't been earned by the blood of... It hasn't been... It hasn't, I'm not saying this right. We have forgiveness by the blood of Jesus that's been applied to us as God has forgiven our sins. The unbeliever does not have that experience or that assurance, but
but God sometimes hears their prayers anyway. And you know, I like to pray with unbelievers because I think God often answers just the prayer for a physical need, an illness, a job, or something like that, just just to pray briefly with an unbeliever in, in their presence. Um, and God in his mercy will answer. But he hasn't promised. So, yeah. There's another one over here. Oh. I, I, I just uh, thought of if the, if the Holy Spirit is our deposit and our intercessor to prayer, yeah. and that non-believer hasn't received the Holy Spirit, right. then, yeah, and I know that the Holy Spirit is God, yeah. it's, it's hard for me to understand why I, I would hope that God will hear the uh, the non-believers' prayers, yeah, but yeah. it's hard well, for me to understand. Yeah, you hope, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. But it's, it's unbelievers coming to Jesus and asking for healing and things, and he, he healed many of them. Um, I'm trying to think of some examples. But anyway, uh, he doesn't have to, but he does in his grace sometimes. Yeah. Anything else, Chantel? Someone this weekend um, talked to me. She was so sad because her father was not a believer. Yeah. And I wrote an email um, to, actually, to Glenna Salisbury. And her answer was wonderful. She said that when you pray for an unbeliever, if God put it in your heart mm -hmm. to pray for that unbeliever mm -hmm. in the first place, mm -hmm. if he puts that in your heart as the desires of your heart mm -hmm. to pray for that unbeliever, mm -hmm. that he, that unbeliever is probably a lost sheep, mm -hmm. but that's all that Umbra is. Mm -hmm. And she said probably a lost sheep and will come We to hope so. Yeah, we don't know, but uh, yeah, sometimes God puts people on our heart and we start praying, and that's just part of the Lord's bringing them uh, to himself. So, good. Okay. All right, should we go on? Um, so, obedience is important. Confession of sins is important. I'm going to go back to this. and just I'm just going to say in my own life, this is a motive for me to maintain purity of conduct because I want... The Lord to answer prayer. So it is. It's a it's a check. It's a restraint on me that I'm to to help keep me doing what God wants me to do as as best I know how. All right. Forgiving others. Oh. <laughs> um, I think Daryl preached on this last week or the week before, and I saw this long line of people waiting uh, for it because it's it's it, because we 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 bump into each other. And uh, and people uh, people and sometimes they mean it and sometimes they don't. But pray. so Jesus tells us to pray right in the Lord's prayer. We're to pray and forgive us our debts or trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the Jewish people at that time took debts to mean sins. And and so we're to pray, God forgive us as we have forgiven others. And so if Oh, Zelda. I'm thinking of a woman's name that's not in here. If Zelda, there's no Zelda here, right? If, if, if Zelda has um, harmed Eve, just been mean to her, um, then, I, oh, I all of a sudden picked you out as an example because you're sitting on the front row. Um, and... Uh, and um, 
and you just say you wouldn't because you're too sweet to do this, F. But but uh, if if F said, well, I'm just not. I'm just angry at her, and I hope all sorts of bad things happen to her, and there's no forgiveness in your heart. Then you say, oh Lord, please forgive me. I've forgiven Zelda. Well, that's not not too good because. But here's what Jesus tells us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Just as I've forgiven other people, please forgive me, Lord. <laughs> now, there's a misunderstanding that sometimes people say, well, wait a minute, hasn't the Lord forgiven all our sins? Yeah, but that's a different sense of forgiveness. That's a forgiveness in terms of legal penalty, of going to heaven and not being, not being liable to eternal punishment. Yeah, there we're legally, we're legally justified forever in that sense of forgiveness. We never have to do this again. Do that again. But here's another sense of forgiveness, and it has to do with that personal relationship. It's restoring the personal fellowship. And Lord, restore your personal fellowship with me. Make things right. Um, as I've restored, as I'm not, not holding a grudge against someone else. Okay? And uh, then Jesus said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. That's not our eternal salvation in view. That's just day-by-day walk with the Lord. Day-by-day relationship. Okay, humility. Okay, uh, Ed. <laughs> okay, go ahead. That's a good uh, question. Some, someone's repentance has nothing to do then with you forgiving them. We should forgive them whether they repent or not. Yeah, well, um, it's easier if they repent, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, they say, oh, Ed, please forgive me, and then you can. it's easier. But I think what Jesus' pattern when he's on the cross, and it says in 1 Peter 2, just let me read the verse because I think it's, it's a helpful verse in this regard. Um, 1 Peter 2, it says that Jesus were to imitate him. Let's see. Um, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I think what happened when Jesus was being beaten and then crucified, I think continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He kept saying, Father, I give that over to you. You take care of it. And so it's, and Daryl said this, it was last week or the week before. He said, it's giving it over to God, not saying, oh, I'm going to try to punish you or get even with you or get back at you. It's saying, Lord, I give that to you. So um, then that gives us a sense of release. Yeah, okay, good example. I'll just say it again for the tape. It's, there's several times in his life where someone has hurt him, but they didn't know, they didn't think they hurt him. Uh, but it, it was hurt. But So they're not going to ask forgiveness because they don't think they did anything wrong. So what do you do? And I think, I think that what the example of Jesus here in 1 Peter 2 is, okay, Lord, uh, Sam really hurt me. He doesn't even think he hurts me. He doesn't see it this way. Lord, I just give that to you. Will you take care of it? And that's a good person to give it to. Uh, and he does take care of it, so he will in the end. Um, Ed, I'm glad you brought that up because this means that Christians have an ability to forgive that others don't because we can give it over to the Lord and we say, okay, Sam hurt me, so Lord, I commit it to you. 
Will you take care of it? And then, I mean, if we're going to pray anymore for Sam, or we think about that anymore, we say, okay, either he's going to become a believer, or he is a believer, and it's all taken care of by Jesus anyway. Maybe God will discipline him, but he'll take care of it. Or if he's an unbeliever, it'll be taken care of either in this life or at the final judgment. All accounts are going to be made right. And that's why Paul can say to masters and slaves in the end of Colossians, masters, uh, treat your uh, let's see, treat your slaves justly. Let me, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. I think I think Paul is saying to masters and servants. Ah. Yeah, um, knowing the servants, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your rewards, Colossians 3.24. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, there is no partiality. Well, these slaves got mistreated. And saying, well, okay, work for the Lord, not for man, and the wrongdoer is going to be paid back. God's going to settle it all. And then masters, you know, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So he's going to take care of it. So all that is, uh, there's a sense of, hey, there's a final judgment, and there's forgiveness in Jesus. Somehow it's all going to get taken care of. An unbeliever, I don't know how unbelievers can forgive people, because there must be some sense of, hey, he did wrong and nothing happened. It's not fair. And our sense of justice in the universe is violated. So... We have a benefit there. Okay, one more, Margaret. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm going to repeat that again. Margaret said forgiveness, there's a benefit that's to us, too, because... The opposite is keeping on mulling it over in our minds, and it really eats away at us and is really harmful. Um, Sandy, I've heard that, that bitterness and resentment are one of the most damaging emotions that people can have. Yeah, is I that? was actually just going to say um, there really are data supporting that. There, there is research that has been done that strongly suggests that people who are angry and bitter and resentful um, that that increases their risk of serious heart disease mm-hmm. and, and other kinds of things, not only the fact that they would be unpleasant to be mm-hmm. around, but, mm-hmm. but just in a physical sense, well, yeah, which makes sense it. because we're a package. God has yeah. created us a whole person. Yeah, and if we keep li- reliving a hundred times the experience of being hurt, we're re-hurting ourselves a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's okay. So forgiving others. And again, I would just say in that regard, if that's a situation in your life where you've been go, you've gone on for a week or a month or a year not been able to forgive somebody for something, that's probably another case where you need to seek out some friend who can just talk through it with you and maybe pray together with you so you get to the bottom of it. So, okay, Margaret? Kathy? Oh, you're raising your hand for Kathy. <laughs> dangerous sitting next to Margaret. Tell just, me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Taking care of patients who are dying yeah. and who take unforgiveness into the deathbed. Oh. And it's distressing um, for me as a health hospice nurse to witness that dying, that act of dying yeah. process with so much bitterness yeah. and resentment in their heart. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 
important for giving up. You can see why then it's important for prayer, that as we come before the Lord, we want a clean conscience, not all, have all that. Um, and he wants us. He wants us to have that cleaned up. Okay. Humility, number six, important in prayer. It says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, there are two categories of people here. There's the proud and the humble. Let's see, which category would you like to be in? Hmm, do I want to be in this one? God opposes the proud. Or do I want to be in this one? God gives grace to the humble. <laughs> Not much of a choice, is it? Um, so humility before God. And First uh, Peter 5, 5 says the same thing. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think humility, humility starts with humility before God, saying, Lord, you are God, I'm not. You know what's best for my life. And I to you, I confess to you that I don't best. And so I come to you, I'm going to ask for these things, for this situation, for this relationship, for this need. But I'm coming with a humble heart, saying, Lord, overall, more than all this that I'm asking, I submit to you and that you are wise, and you are good, and you know what's best. And so there's humility before God. And that has to do with our prayer, because Jesus talks about the hypocrites who were showing off in their prayers. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Then they may be seen by others. They pray these long prayers. Um, they love to stand and pray at the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Or these scribes, Luke 20, 46 to 47, these scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. So they're just, they're really, they're doing this to show off. And Jesus says God is not pleased with that. Okay, so that's you. Number seven, continuing in prayer over time. He just told us, don't make long prayers to show off or for a pretense or make long prayers to be seen by others. And there are other places where he talks about vain repetition. However, the other side of that is there are times when continuing prayer over time is very important. So Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Amazing. That's a long time. And the crowds were pressing around him to be healed uh, of their diseases and have demons cast out of them. And Jesus was healing so many, but there were so many crowds coming. Well, what would he do? He would escape. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And those of you who've had some Greek, <clears throat> he was withdrawing, uh, paraphrastic imperfect, <clears throat> drawing out the sense of duration over time. It's kind of a, a habitual or continual activity. He was regularly, he was frequently, continually withdrawing to desolate places, and praying. Or, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his crucifixion, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Matthew 14, or Mark 14, 36. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and he saw his disciples sleeping, and then he went back to pray again. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. So, don't, Repeat and repeat and repeat in prayer just to be seen by others or for just to, for, for show. But on the other hand, there are times when you pray and then you say it again and there's more earnestness to it and you say it again and there's more earnestness to it and more intensity to it and your heart it, it's coming out of a, a deep heart, a heartfelt, 
sense of prayer, and then repetition in prayer is important. Here, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, to remove his thorn in the flesh, that it should leave me. So he prayed, and then he prayed again, and he prayed again. And so I don't think that's wrong. Sometimes we pray, and then we pray the same thing again, because it's, it's, our heart is more into it. So that, there's a caution when you pray Matthew 6, 7, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words, but um, there is, I think, importance of praying uh, earnestly. And sometimes there's, um, what do I say, continuing in prayer over time and there's repetition in prayer. Another aspect of continuing in prayer over time, well, before I go on to that, I should say, it has been my experience that Longer periods of time in prayer often bring me much closer into fellowship with God, and there's often a much deeper sense of, of prayer uh, when it goes on beyond just a few minutes. I've found that from time to time in small groups as well as personally, continuing in prayer over time. And, <clears throat> and sometimes you say, well, my prayer life that just doesn't, isn't very meaningful. I'm not going very far. It's not doing much. And it may be just you need to get alone and spend a little bit more time. And, and then, okay, maybe you can't focus your mind. Well, read a chapter in the Bible and then talk to the Lord about that and then start to pray again. But sometimes it's just waiting silently in the Lord's presence. And for me, it may be five minutes, maybe ten minutes. I'm just kind of waiting silently. And then there's a peace that comes on me that I think is the Holy Spirit saying, giving evidence of his presence. And then it seems like I really am talking to God. And there's a reality to prayer, but it takes time. Okay. Another part of continuing in prayer over time is there should be, I think, in the Christian life, just a sense of praying through the day. Just praying as you're driving, as you're um, in a meeting or whatever. In a meeting, Lord, should I say something or not? That just quietly in your mind, Lord, what should I say? Lord, help me to have wisdom on this. And um, uh, just in ordinary errands and things. It just And maybe you're praying for people that come to mind. I think that's what Paul means, pray without ceasing. There's a sense of the Lord is with you all the time. And there's a sense of fellowship and communion with him so that there's an undercurrent, kind of a background of prayer through the day. That happens to me sometimes. It doesn't happen sometimes. Sometimes I'll go hours and think, wait a minute, I didn't think about the Lord at all. I was just going about my daily business. Other times, I am thinking about the Lord more, and I wish it was more frequent in my life and more consistent. So Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The apostles... Uh, is another aspect of continuing in prayer over time. And they wanted to be free from other kinds of activities, looking over the distribution of food to people who needed food. And so they had these uh, early, I think, deacons appointed in Acts 6, that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they set aside more time so I think they could pray both privately and, in, uh, and, uh, and together. So there's continuing. You want to talk about continuing in prayer over time? Anything. I think that's imp- I think it's really important, and maybe in our society it places so much emphasis, and I do, on getting things done and using time well. The, the, this is a, something we learn more about, just taking, setting aside more time for prayer. Okay. Praying earnestly. Um, so, Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. 
to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence or godly piety. With loud cries and tears, Jesus prayed. There was a depth of feeling or emotion in his heart as he cried out for the needs of the people around him, for the needs of the world, and he cried out earnestly to God. And you hear this sometimes in the prayers of the Bible. I could have taken a number of examples, but here's Daniel praying for his people and saying, O Lord, hear! O Lord, forgive! O Lord, pay attention and act! Delay not! For your own sake, oh my God, because your and your people are called by your name. I mean, there's an intensity to this prayer as he's crying out before God. Um, that's not natural to us in our century, in our culture, is it? Maybe other cultures, maybe it's a little more natural, but it's not not so much to us. But and and I want to say, I don't think you can fake this. Just like, um, just like if you're, <clears throat> if um, if you went out to lunch with someone and it was kind of boring and it wasn't very good food and you just said, "Oh, that was the most wonderful lunch I have ever had, and I just enjoyed being with you so much," you're, you're faking it. And the person you went to lunch with is going to say, "What's going on with you? You're weird." <clears throat> and so I don't, we can say, oh, we've got to have an earnest prayer, so we kind of just try to speak really loud and manufacture that feeling. But, on the other hand, sometimes our hearts are just overwhelmed by the needs of the situation that we pray for, uh, the needs of the church, the needs of the world, and, um Yeah. We were at Ed and Susan Bartolini's last night with the Simpsons and some other people interested in missions and hearing about Kazakhstan. And Margaret, your, your heart was just moved to hear about the needs of Kazakhstan. And when your heart is stirred up like that, you're not going to pray in a monotone. Once you take time to pray for that situation, there's going to be feeling and earnestness to it, and there may be some weeping. And see, there, where it's genuine, I don't think we should try to shut it down or resist it or be embarrassed about it or joke about it, but just say, wow, the Lord's really touching our hearts in this regard and allow that to happen. Even though it might seem a little unusual, maybe just realize that in those times, those are times of really genuine, deep prayer. Okay, you want to talk about that? Wayne, uh, I remember back when uh, our daughter was uh, waiting to deliver their second child, and she uh, had a real serious complication. She was up in Seattle. I was down here. George Ann was uh, in Texas on a mission trip, and we got a call from, or I got a call from the hospital that uh, our daughter had lost about half her blood in about 10 minutes. And, and the baby uh, had to be delivered by C-section. And so they had a team of doctors working on the baby to try to try to save the baby's life, and another team was working on Melinda to save her life. And mm. here I was, you know, 2,000 miles away. George Ann was gone, mm. and 
Oh, the loud cries and tears, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was absolutely yeah. flat on my face, yeah. wailing to God, and he answered the prayer, and yeah. both survived yeah. and are healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great example, Bob. Yeah, when we feel... When the Lord reveals to us the need of some kind or another, like that situation or other things, then I think there will be just deep, deep emotion in our prayers. Nothing to be embarrassed of um, when it's from the Lord and it's genuine. Good, good. Waiting on the Lord, number nine. Um, this is kind of related to continuing in prayer over time, but I, I just, I just want to say this has been such a, a wonderful realization that sometimes we don't have to do <clears throat> anything more. <clears throat> we don't have to read another verse. We don't have to go to the next page in our prayer list. We don't have to say any more words to God. We just have to be still um, and wait. Uh, and I, there are literally... I think, I haven't counted, but I think there must be, because I keep seeing them, dozens of verses about waiting on the Lord. And you know what I think that means? I think it means waiting on the Lord. <laughs> I think it means just what it says. Uh, wait. Uh, Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 38, 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. There's just a waiting. What is that? It's different from going through lists of things that you pray for, which I do. But as you come to something, or sometimes before you, you just rest in the Lord's presence about the things you've read in his word, or think about him, and just be still. And when I do that, then the Lord will bring to mind something. And I'll say, well, yeah, Lord, I really am concerned about that. Can you help me understand the solution? Happened this morning. I'm thinking about some scheduling thing for the next month, and I don't know the answer. And I'm waiting. And I just, Lord, I don't know. So I just, I'm going to rest. And then all of a sudden, an idea comes to mind. I think the Lord gives me an idea. Thank you, Lord. Okay, and then I wait some more. And then another idea comes to mind. So lots of uh, direction of my life and decision of what to work on that day, what to emphasize, what to put first, what to decide I'm not going to do, a lot of that comes from just those times of just being still before the Lord and just waiting. Or when I'm praying for something that I don't understand what to pray for, I say, Lord, okay, here's the situation. Help me know what to pray for. Help me know what is right. Sing on the Lord. Okay, that's the hymn I was going to do. Let's, um, let's I'll just run through these in the main two, three minutes, and then we'll do a hymn and it'll be done. Praying in private, uh, Daniel or Jesus went off to, uh, Daniel went to his upper chamber, Jesus withdrew to desolate places, and Jesus says, Matthew, and that has to do with praying according to what the Bible says about things God commands. Um, you know, we should pray that people be honest, not that they cheat and steal. We should Pray that uh, people uh, 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 love each other, not that they murder and hate each other. Uh, we should pray that people come to know Christ, not that they stay away from the gospel. I mean, there are some things that are just kind of obvious things that are nothing else distracting, if you can, and, and, and be alone. 
And I think um, group prayer also is best when done in a private place as well. So Peter was kept in prison. Earnest prayer was made for him. Why? At the house of Mary, uh, uh, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Why? Even in a group, you don't want the window open or pray in the backyard where you think the neighbors are listening because you're half of them when you're praying. And it just kind of is a hindrance. So, so be alone. Okay. Eleven, praying with others. Well, we do this. Really important. Two of you agree on earth. Acts 4.24, they lifted their voices together. Uh, here, uh, give us this day our daily bread. There's plurals. Uh, so that's important. Okay. Praying alone, praying with others. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this very much. Fasting, um, there's a lot of emphasis on fasting in the Bible. It doesn't command it, but it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, they appointed elders with prayer and fasting. And I've got to be honest with you, I've tried fasting a few times. Not very many. And why don't I do it? It's not commanded in the Bible. I think it's offered to us as an option, and it will increase our effectiveness in prayer and our closeness to the Lord. And why don't I do it? I don't know. I get up in the morning, I think, I've got all this stuff to do. I think I need some food for energy, and so I eat. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest with you. It's there, but I'm not going to say I fast when I don't. And I don't know why. I don't know. I just, some of you probably have more experience on that than I do. And... So I put it in here because, and there's benefits on the list. I put it in there, and I don't want to minimize it because it's in the Bible, but I want to be honest with you. Okay. What about unanswered prayer? I've got to say this before we quit. Sometimes there are things that are really, really important to us, and we pray, and God doesn't grant the answer. All of us have situations like that in our lives Every single one of us have situations like that. Every single one of us in this room. And Margaret and I have things that we have prayed for for years that God has not answered. So now what to do? We realize, number one, that God is God and we are not. He keeps hidden his own wise plans for the future. We don't always know what is right to pray, uh, point B. And we sometimes we don't pray according to God's will. We're praying for something we think is right, but it isn't what's pleasing to him. And we don't always ask in faith. That could be. But also, we think that one solution is best, but God has a better plan. I expect when Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit and then sold him into slavery for Egypt, to Egypt, he was praying, Lord, get me out of this. Please rescue me. I don't want to be a slave in Egypt. Please deliver me. God had a better plan. He sent Joseph ahead to, uh, so he delivered the people of Israel, but he didn't know that at that time. And so... Um, uh, other situations like that. So Joseph could say, you meant it against evil against me, but God meant it for good. So we trust in God's sovereignty when we don't see answers to prayer. But we must continue to pray, cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Continue to pray. And then I had an element on pray. Oh, well, then, and Paul, his thorn in the flesh was not removed. So then he just trusted the Lord's provision, and that's what we have to do, and trust for the Lord's strength. Okay. So I had a section on praise and thanksgiving, part of prayer, but you know about that, and so I'm not going to do any more on that. One, one question, maybe, or two. I went over the rest of that stuff really fast. Okay. I think I'm going to... I just was determined not to go on another week from this. But... This is an old hymn. Can we sing this? 
Take, take time to, this is how it goes. Take time to be holy. Do you know that? Okay, let's stand and sing that. I'm going to pray just so we don't uh, go too long over time. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and its rich teaching on how we can come to you in prayer. Thank you that though you are the omnipotent, eternal, omnipresent God with infinite knowledge and wisdom, yet you allow us, you welcome us, you invite us to come before you and, and bring the desires of our hearts. And so we do that. We commit this time and this week into your hands. Amen. See you next week.